when you first got to the varsity basketball team at Clements High School, who was the first person to kind of kick your butt and give you that wake-up call to a, a different level of competition? Yeah, so back then, uh, we were, Fort Bend was in a district with A-Leaf ISD, and uh, we we had the unfortunate uh, opportunity to play Elsick and A-Leaf Hastings, yep. um, and they were so well coached back then, and, uh, and still are, but uh, they were a powerhouse uh back then both of those teams kicked our butts numerous times at Columbus. large attendance too at that time large attendance yeah. at the time and then to watch those two play against each other uh you know they had they had some real good talent so still to this day marla brumfield she's one of the assistant athletic directors in uh in a leaf will give me a hard time about the way that they they kicked our butt pretty good It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy All right, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast We are up to episode number 73 We have a great guest in the house today Someone I've really been looking forward to uh, Getting into the Team Player Podcast studios for a long time she was a standout at Clements High School, like we just kind of talked about, and that's actually where I started my coaching career. So a lot of a lot, of, a lot of things in common. She is now an assistant athletic director, again, in my hometown district, which all you listeners know, I'm a Fort Bend ISD product, K through 12. And so it's my, it's my awesome. extreme yeah. honor. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. My extreme honor to welcome to the Team Player Podcast, Coach Deb Mize. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kobo. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. All right, and if, you've, if you're enjoying the Team Player Podcast as, as much as we are, I know Coach is, is actually a listener, so thank you again for your support. Make sure you give us that five-star rating. It's very important. We got like 60 on Spotify, about 30 on Apple Podcasts. That's great. And, we, and I've been talking about this the past couple of weeks. We, know our, our, we lost our 5.0 rating recently on Spotify. We had it for over a year, so someone gave us a poor rating, so hopefully we can change their mind. But let's please keep rating. Let's get us back to 5.0 because we have 5.0 guests for sure on this show. Um, if you want to leave a written review, I'll, I'll read those on the show. You can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We will be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach, let's dive into it. Now, this is this was a, a shocker for me. I did not know this about you. I mean, I knew you were, you were a proud Clements alum. I didn't realize you were an Okie. Boomer Sooner uh, over here. So you, you're from Duncan, Oklahoma. And I looked it up. That's about an hour and a half southwest of Oklahoma City, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so just tell us about, I mean, I'm, I'm learning a lot about Oklahoma. My, my brother actually lives in Sepulpa and he's coaching up oh, there yeah, yeah. at, at Kiefer mm -hmm. High School. He's a defensive coordinator and head wrestling coach. So I go up there often. I go up there for work as well. It's part of my territory of Dactronics. And so I'm, I'm learning a lot about Oklahoma. Love Oklahoma. I, I really, really love going up to Oklahoma. I honestly do. So can you, can you tell our listeners that maybe haven't gone north of the Red River often or, or, or at all? <laughs> what was it like growing up in Duncan, Oklahoma? Yeah, you know, it was definitely in Duncan, Oklahoma, it was a small town feel for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, Duncan was a, a one horse town uh, with Highway 81 that runs right through it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it was 
a couple of elementaries, a middle school and a high school, and you were a Duncan demon, you know, there was no yeah. other option. Yeah. Uh, so a huge, rich tradition with football and, and boys and girls basketball at that time. They were really good as well. Um, you know, was born and raised there. And then uh, my dad got transferred with his job um, uh, to London. So I actually lived in London for two years um, in wow, elementary. Get out of town. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that was <laughs> some culture shock, James, uh, yeah. from going from Duncan to London. And then we actually moved back to Oklahoma again and then eventually moved here to Houston in seventh grade. And I attended First Colony Middle School and then eventually Plymouth. So, yeah, big Sooner fan. My dad went to the University of Oklahoma. Um, sadly, in Texas, I am a, a Boomer Sooner. Yeah. Uh, and okay. I, like, I like to rub that in a little bit. But it's been a good rivalry for sure. Yeah, for sure. There's a couple things I want to dig into there. Let's just start with the, the Duncan portion of it. And I want to talk about London because I, I I am blown away by that part of your story. But, yeah, you know, when I go up to, to Kiefer and, and so, well, my brother coach or Sepulpa where he lives, that's in the Tulsa area. So in the kind of the northeast corner of the state, when I go up there, it's kind of interesting to me. I would say Oklahoma definitely has a southern culture, kind of similar to Texas. But like when you look at it, you start seeing some of those uh, uh, coniferous trees, right? Like kind of like pine tree type. Because it's like you're starting to get into the Midwest. Like you're, you're farther north than you think you are, I guess, is what I would say. So I'm just curious about that. Like it gets cold up there. My brother has been through some serious freezes. So like. I've just always been curious, like, would you describe the culture as Southern or is like, are you, is like, oh, like Southern, but like starting to get into the Midwest a little bit. I'm just say, curious. Just like you I, said, I yeah. would say, just like you said, the Southern kind of about to get into the West Midwest area. Yeah. Definite, you know, tornadoes when I was growing up yeah, as a kid, right, I remember right, hearing right. the sirens. I had tornado shelters in the backyard. You know, you go out yeah. there and you open up the double metal doors. Um, but, you know, as a kid, you're like, man, you know, this is kind of the life I can get out here and play almost all year round in the driveway um and everything like that so i mean yeah i would definitely say the weather can change um you definitely get all four seasons i'll tell you that yeah and then the the, the london portion i i believe you're our first guest that i can just recall off the top of my head um to to do the international schooling like that and i mean def, definitely going from a town the size of duncan oklahoma to london i mean that, that's the biggest transition i've ever heard of what was it like? I mean, I'm imagining that you went to a, an American school or did you actually kind of like enter into the public school system there? I'm really curious. No, no, no. We went to an American school. It was called the American Community School. It was in Cobham, okay. Surrey. I don't know if you're familiar Surrey. with that. that. That's south of London. I, I do know Surrey. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And so second grade through fourth grade. So we were there, you know, two years, three years. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was so little that I probably, you know, you don't take advantage of kind of the the memory of it and everything. But we would take trips. My dad started working. And so my mom and my sister and I were trying to find houses to live. Mm -hmm. And I remember I'd ride the double-decker buses. And James, that was like so it cool. for me, dude. I was yeah, so excited yeah. to be on those buses. Um, but anyway, so it's like those little things, right? I'd love to go back to see the house that I lived in. Mm -hmm. But the experience for my family, uh, we had some relatives that were able to come visit at that time. Uh, my grandmother was one of them. And so it was just an amazing opportunity. And I'd love to go back. Uh, but definitely, that's kind of where I started playing basketball. That was the first time I was in a, a boys' league Okay. Um, at, at the American Community School because I didn't have one for the girls. Okay. And so my dad said, would you like to sign up for this? And I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. And so I did, and I was the only girl um, yeah. that, that played in the little league that they had yeah. there because uh, soccer, obviously, is is the sport of choice over there. Sure. Um, so, But, yeah, that was kind of my first experience with sports, and uh, I loved it. Second to third grade, you said? Second through fourth. Second yeah. through fourth. And and did you pick up any accent at all? Or you don't have any now, but I mean, did you? No, I tried to. I tried <laughs> to pretend like I could or, you know, the way that they order, you know, fish and chips and, sure. you know, all that kind of stuff. I remember going to the grocery store. This is a funny story. 
when I was a kid and, you know, we're waiting, our groceries are coming down the belt and we're waiting for, you know, somebody to bag them. And the lady's kind of looking back at my family and I, and they're kind of like, um, you know, what are y'all waiting on? Well, you had to bring your own bag and you oh, had to bag your own groceries. And it's yeah. just kind of those subtle things subtle difference, yeah. that, that you don't, you know, that you don't think about. And I remember like my mom was like, you know, we're kind of sitting there waiting and they were like, you know, bag your stuff. You could totally tell we were Americans, sure. um, you know, that kind of thing. But, sure. and then we were able to meet some other American families that were there from across the country in us that were there for the same reasons, you know, their families got relocated. Um, and my parents still keep in touch with those people to this day. So that's awesome. French fries or chips. I know that's one <laughs> There's several little French words or chips. <laughs> yep. Very yep, cool. fish or chips, or you go to a Mexican restaurant there and they wouldn't give you free chips and salsa. You got charged for it. Uh. <laughs> so just little, little things you remember, you know. Very so. funny. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you know, you mentioned you've listened to several of the podcasts, especially a lot of my girls' basketball guests. And I'm looking, I keep lots of statistics on the show just for my own knowledge. Girls' basketball is my second highest of the sports on this show. You're going to, you're, you're my double digit guest. You're my 10th girls' basketball guest. Now we're approaching around 70 episodes. So, I love girls hoops, man. Uh, ever since I, I've always been a hoops guy, but I really gravitate to the girls game. Uh, I coached girls basketball at Ridgepoint High School with Coach Kubasek, yeah. and I, I really enjoyed that. When I went to Aldine, Coach Jen Salazar, who's now the uh, head girls yeah. coach at Pasadena Memorial, I really took an interest in her program. Like that was the first Aldine game I ever saw when I went on onto campus. Was was mm -hmm. her playing Aldine Davis, and I just I loved her watching her coach hard, and I, I really I was out there running with with the team. And so she would allow me to go play pickup with them. And I'll tell you, Coach Salazar embarrassed me many a time. If you listen to her episode, <laughs> I, I, re I relive some of those memories yeah. on the baseline where she, she hit one right in my face. But yeah, you know, I guess my question is, you mentioned that you played with the boys. That's a very common theme. Coach Salazar played with the boys on her episode. Carlessa Dixon played with the boys. Quisha Dickerson. And it wasn't even really a thought. Um, uh, Coach Danzer, Aldine MacArthur, she also played with boys, you know. And so I've it's a hundred percent. I've never met a high level girls basketball coach such as yourself that, that didn't grow up playing with boys. And I've always kind of thought that it's good for kids to play up in age, you know, like if you've got a kid with some talent, let them play with the older kids. You know, I think that really develops them. And I think for girls or all the women I've interviewed, like they're telling me like, Hey, we, yeah, we like playing with the guys and, you know, and so I'm just curious your thoughts on that. You've, you've coached at a very high level and you lived it. What are your thoughts on, on letting the girls play with the guys and, and, and maybe even something that maybe even promoting that. Yeah, I, you know, I, for me, it was a, it wasn't even a, a, a second thought. It was something that that came very natural. The boys provided that competitiveness. Um, some of the, you know, when you're younger, the physicality doesn't kind of matter as much, right? You're kind of yeah, all sure, on the sure. same playing field. You're a little, all a little awkward, um, you know, when you're growing up. But that was the thing, you know, I played, I was like the all-time quarterback in the neighborhood. It was like, you yeah. know, uh, no tackle, two-hand touch kind of thing. And um, and then when I coached at Hightower, you know, how we got ready for games was our, you know, our scout team was our either sophomore boys or our, our freshman boys in the boys yeah. program. I had a great relationship with our boys basketball coaches and, and they were just the way that the game is a little bit quicker for them. It was once we got into a game, it was able to be slowed down. Um, you know, everything just kind of felt more natural because they were used to a higher, faster pace in practice. So for uh, me, I it was something that it was a non-negotiable. No, I, I love it. And, you know, it's actually one thing that I, I know that you share with Brian Harris um, and or that I share with Brian Harris was he he uh, he was there with Pat Summit as, a, you know, a men's practice squad. Uh, he was there with Shamika Holesaw. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and just in, incredible, like that period of time that he was there. But and I, I did it myself in my division three school, Austin College. 
coach, uh, coach Hunter, Deb Hunter, actually, you know, she invited football players to play against her, her varsity squad. And this is what I, what I talked about with Brian is I get so angry when I hear this tired, like social media, uh, trope about like not liking women's basketball or the WNBA. And I'm just like, man, I bet 99% of these guys that are saying this have could not step onto that court with those ladies. Like I've done it. And I, even at the D three level, I, they were doing things and coach Salazar, I'll be like, they were incredible. I can only imagine playing against Candace Parker (laughs) or someone of that talent at Tennessee. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I'm just kind of, I want to just pick your brain on that. I'm I'm sure you have strong feelings about that, but I'm just so overhearing some of that kind of talk. And I'm just curious, you know, you, you're, you're more into the women's game than even than I am. I'm, I'm a supporter. I've got, uh, I've got UH women's basketball season tickets. I saw you there uh, one, yeah, one game supporting uh, Taylor, one of your former players. But mm-hmm. can you just talk about that? Like as a society, the way that we view women's sports, you know, I've talked to lots of coaches, like women, women's basketball is also just different than men's basketball. So if you're just trying to comp- compare it directly and you want to see dunks and stuff like that, is it, but there's a lot of things the women's actually do way better than the men's game, in my opinion. So I'm just curious, like, it's something I see a lot, like in social media conversation. So can you speak to that as someone who's really in this space? Yeah, you know, I think I'm with you. I'm a little bit tired of it, too. The the social media, uh, you know, people who are the experts, right, that are tapping behind the keyboard on certain things. Because right, sure. uh, if you're a basketball purist, to me, the game, the women's game really kind of shows you those fundamentals and yeah. and different things. And, you know, I watched the NBA draft last night, big supporter of obviously men's basketball, too. Um, you know, but, but it's a different style. It's a different style and there's nothing wrong with it, but I get tired of hearing, you know, the women's game is boring. You know, I heard uh, a little clip the other day, Kobo, I don't know how you feel about this, but it was uh, Shaquille O'Neal saying, you know, if the women want more attendance or they want more views, well, let's lower the goal from 10 feet to nine and a half. And I bet we could get some more dunks. And initially when I heard that, I was like, well, that's an idea. And then I thought to myself, why, why do we have to, why do we have to do that? Right. Why do we have to change the brand of basketball? Um, because when you actually compare the final fours this past year, uh, the, Are you the kidding women's me? that was must see TV, full must stadium. TV. Iowa uh-huh. is sold out of their season tickets. I mean, uh-huh. and Caitlin Clark, I mean, come on, yeah. you know, I mean, if, if, if you're a true, true basketball fan, so sometimes it depends on, you know, who's shooting the message, right. I mean, consider the messenger, but I'm with you on it. Um, I'm of course a basketball purist and love, I love the women's game. Um, love the game period but a, a fan of the women's game for sure yeah for sure and again I, I i tamika catchings was the other name i couldn't but it was tamika catchings and shamika holdsclaw the holdsclaw that brian was telling me he was able to scrimmage against daily and i'm just my, my jaw just dropped i just thought that was so cool yeah, brian told me that he got the business from those two so yeah he, yeah, he, yeah they gave him the yeah, business yeah. for sure yep. and yeah that, that, that's a common theme again that's a common theme you get men playing against women that happens routinely. It really does. Uh-huh. You know, so I, I totally agree with you. I would not want to lower the hoop because again, to me, the brand of basketball, it's, it's perfect. I agree. It just, it just needs people giving it a chance. I think just uh-huh. this year uh-huh. when people just gave it a chance, they were entertained. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. there's, there's no way you could watch those, those, those last, like from the, or all of it, but really like from the semifinals on, that was extremely entertaining basketball. So, you know, and I think for a long time too, and I don't know your thought on this, you know, for a long long time it was either Tennessee or it was UConn for the women's game right. and I see the women's game opening up more the, the girls are going to different universities now obviously LSU uh you know Caitlin Clark who stayed home and went to Iowa mm-hmm. you know that's good for the game of basketball that it's not the same two horses in the race every time now South Carolina is uh, a power you know, right so kind of a new yeah, power exactly, emerging. exactly so 
Yeah. So I think that's good for the women's game too. And I think it's good for the interest of the game as well. So. And so you, you mentioned you, you went back to Oklahoma for a period and then you also, you enroll at first colony middle school, the Bobcats, you know, I'd, I know that's, that's right, baby. Well. The Bobcats. The Bobcats, yep. And uh, I mean, I went to Sugarland Middle School. As again, I'm a I'm a Fort Bend okay, lifer, yeah. so I, you know, had had some run-ins with those Bobcats. Bobby Darnell, you know, our our good friend, yep. is a Bobcat alum like yourself. And so, mm-hmm. can you just talk about you you you've seen a lot of things now. You've seen small town Oklahoma. You've seen <laughs> London Metropolitan London. And now you're coming in kind of in the middle, a suburban, you know, part of Houston and Sugarland. And so what was your what was your initial thoughts when you moved to Sugarland uh, in seventh grade uh, for the first time there? Well, I thought it was huge. I thought it was yeah. really, really big. You know, um, the middle school, three grade levels, six, seven and eight. And then I was like, oh, man, I'm in seventh grade so I can play sports here. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of the first time that sports was attached, you know, scholastically. Um, and so that was real cool. I was really excited about that. And then they had an A team and a B team. And I thought, man, that's really cool. You know, it was just kind of like, yeah, uh, shocking to a certain extent. And then when I kind of realized that there was a path for me to, uh, to work hard for and explore and trying to get a scholarship to play basketball, um, you know, that was exciting too. And then I just, when I got to Clements, um, had some great coaches there and, um, was able to be fortunate enough to get a scholarship. And then who was your coach at Clements? So I had a, I had a couple. Um, my I, I played as a freshman on JV, so I had Janet Cox. Um, I worked with Coach Cox. I definitely remember Janet. Absolutely. Yeah, and and she was uh, man, she was tough on me as a player. She's yeah. she was my coach. She's my coaching one of my coaching mentors, and I felt like she always yelled my name the loudest when the gym was the quietest. You know, it was one of those <laughs> things. Uh, but now I look back and I appreciated her, and I I kind of modeled myself a little bit when she coached as the way I coached, but. And then I had Lori Oliver, who was a full circle moment. Get out of town. Me. Wow. Yeah, I did not she, realize that. Lori Oliver was my head coach for three years. And uh, at, when we were at Clements, James, we were able to go to the San Diego Surf and Sports Slam tournament um, in San Diego in high school. And so we won that division that we were in at the time. Wow. So I went my sophomore year, my senior year. Um, and Lori, full circle moment, was on my hiring committee at Hightower High School. Yeah. Uh, for my head job there when I got the head job. So it's just, it was a literally like, wow, my high school coach is in, in the interview. So this is what I love about Fort Bend is someone like yourself and myself. Like I knew, I know intimately like both of these people that, that you just described. Like Janet Cox was there mm-hmm. when I started my, my teaching coaching career at, Cle- at Clements. Lori Oliver mm-hmm. was an assistant principal at Ridgepoint when we got it going there. And she yep. was like, she was a rock for Ridgepoint. Uh-huh. We really had a, we had consistency there. You know, we started with Tammy Edwards as the principal. Yeah. Lori, we had Rick Gaines, who's still the voice of the Panthers. Still there, the voice of Ridgepoint. There he is, he's you know, also, and so like, he's also a, he's also a Sooner fan. I don't know if you he, know that, but he's an alum, right? I mean, he, he played yeah. uh, for the Sooners. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, so that was, I, that's what I love about Fort Bend, kind of that homegrown kind of feel people like Bobby Darnell now leading programs where he played. I mean, I, I've always really enjoyed that, but and I, I guess I just always, I thought Lori, did Lori go to Elkins then later on? Yes. Yeah. So, so she, she was, at was at, she took over at Elkins then. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Cause that, that's what I remember her saying was she was kind of an, you know, coming from Elkins. I didn't know about the Clements part, but you know, again, Clements high school, I believe built like 1983 or 81 uh-huh. built in the early eighties. Uh-huh. And so you, you were there. What was it? What's it like? I mean, you, you talk about the, the, the middle school kind of overwhelmed you at first, but now you, now you go to a high school it seemed a little older by the time that I got there, you know, in the 2000s, but maybe you were there kind of more, a little bit more when it's a little more newer, but like, what, what was that like? I know it's oftentimes and other campuses may 
scoff at this, but I mean, I, I always saw it as kind of like one of the premier academic institutions of Fort Bend ISD, just very rigorous kind of curriculum there. I mean, just kind of curious your thoughts. What was it like to be a student at C High, as they call it? Yeah, C High, baby. That's yeah. right, the Rangers. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I had an older sister who was four years older than me. Um, so I kind of knew rigorously and academically what Clements was about, you know, when yeah. she was in high school and I was in middle school still. Um, and so, you know, I was excited to get to high school. Like I said, it, it felt big. Yeah. And then like, like we, like we mentioned before, when you started playing some of the competition of those teams that I mentioned from a leaf at the time, um, you really kind of figured out, okay, this isn't, this isn't, you know, a trophy that everybody gets anymore. This is right. kind of some right. big time, uh, Texas girls basketball. And so you kind of got thrown into the fire pretty quick. Um, I was able, like I said, to have some coaches that pushed me and allowed me to play up, um, then, you know, the grade level I was in. But yeah, it was just kind of that shock and awe of how big it is and then how competitive it was. And while, and again, speaking of the size there, you, you went to Clements High School, you played basketball only. And so this is something I, I like to tell you, now you're an athletic director and you've been a high level coach. And so the multi-sport athletes talk is a big talk, right? You know, and uh, I don't think I've ever shared this with you personally, but I had a two-year head coaching career. You know, I was a defensive coordinator at Ridgepoint for five years. And in two years, I was a campus athletic coordinator and head football coach at Aldean High School. That, that's where my career I took I did not me. know that about you. Yeah, no. So yeah, we've never discussed this portion. And you probably wonder, why just two years? Well, we weren't great on the football field. And my 2-18 and 18 is my career record. So nothing like your record at Hightower. But I love the football. And honestly, during that time, even at 2-18, and 18, we actually beat a playoff team my first year. We beat Nimitz High School, who made the playoffs in that year. So we, we, we could do some things on the field. Deb, you know, the thing that, that really got me was the campus athletic coordinator piece. That really quickly aged me and soured me and kind of just turned me off to what I was doing at the time where I felt I needed a reset and I wanted to try something different. But one of the big things was managing the adults, like that, that portion of it, right? And oftentimes, and I think about like a volleyball and a girls basketball, that can oftentimes be contentious because you're sharing a lot, even at a 6A potentially, you know, depending on, on your numbers, you know, and stuff, but uh, gym space, players, you know, training time and weight room time, all kinds of stuff. And so I was often managing these kinds of disputes, you know, and I was like, that wasn't what I, whenever you become the head coach and camp athletic coordinator, you're not expecting that portion of your job, but it actually consumes a lot. And it, it just really kind of wore me down. I'd be, I don't know. I wasn't the same Kovo after a while, you know? And so I, I just, I need, I need to change, but I'm curious for you, you know, a lot of times, you know, coaches do promote playing multiple sports for athletes, but the same reality is at a six A school. Sometimes you do just kind of go down that one sport route. You you lived it as a player, as a high level head coach, and now as an administ at a, uh, athletic you know director, assistant athletic director. What are some of your opinions on that? With that, that balancing a girl that you know with volleyball, girls basketball, softball, soccer. You know how do you manage multi sport athletes at the six A size level? Yeah. So, you know, when I was at Clements, there was no 6A. So it, it was 5A at the correct, time. Correct. Correct. Yep. And, um, it, but that was the highest classification, obviously. And uh, for me, it was, I was interested in other sports, but, you know, everybody said you kind of specialize in what, sure. in what you did. I sure. played AAU year round. I played with a bunch of talented other players from Elkins High School at the time um, that I played on AAU. And that's just kind of what you did. Yeah. I had an interest in softball for a long time, but I just never, I kind of felt like it would interfere with my basketball schedule. Right. And then when I moved to Hightower and started coaching, I would, you know, I was that coach that I'm, oh, I don't really want to share. You know, I'm worried sure. they're going to sure. go and get injured if they're not with me, sure. but they could get injured with me. Um, and then as I've grown in both yeah. professionally and coaching yeah. Yeah. and more research has come out, 
you know, the, the need to specialize is, is a negative for our kids. And I think it's a burnout, um, for our young ladies and men. And, um, if I could go back when I was coaching, um, I would change, I would have a different perspective on it, um, than I did. And I think my last three or four years, I I shared a lot of athletes with track and field because we were very talented in track and field at Hightower. Um, and then I started sharing some more and more with volleyball. And uh, it was one of those things where you have to just be unselfish for the athlete. Um, But but I I think it's the cause of burnout for our kids. And I I think it's sad to say, you know, they're starting to play little league baseball at, you know, four, five, six years old now. And I think if they specialize, I think it's a scary road to go down for our our student athletes. But and obviously now that I'm an assistant athletic director at one of the largest high schools uh, or excuse me, the largest districts in the state. Uh, you know, we stress to our coaches that we hire, you know, what is your philosophy on sharing athletes, you know, and, and we want them to, to be a team player and share the, share the kids because it's beneficial for the student athlete. Man, Coach Mize, Deb, you know, it's like, say it again for the people louder for the people in the back, <laughs> right? Like that was radio gold, what you just said. Well, thanks. All, yeah. I love, I love like the openness and transparency to say at the early in your career, perhaps you were a bit selfish. And I mean, that's very common and normal, right? Because whenever you're leading your own program, that, that's the way that I saw it when I was having to manage that. As I, I always had to tell myself, like, even though I'm like, guys, can we all get on the same page? And like you said, it's best for the athletes. Let's move together. I also had to say, Kovo, like these, these, you know, everyone here is just defending their program. They're doing what's best for their program that, you know, they're right. just trying to protect their program and make sure that everyone gets a fair shake. But like you said, I love what you said about the burnout. And I think that is true. And I think the research does support that. But what, how, how did you make that transition? Was it just the research or did something else change? But I mean, cause I have coaches that listen to this podcast. If you are a coach that is right now, maybe discouraging your athletes from, from playing other sports, what advice could you give to that coach right now to try to, you know, change that behavior? Well, I, I, I think something else that we, that we haven't touched on is, is injury. Um, when yeah. you talk about, you know, a student athlete playing, playing one sport, um, only, yeah. uh, you know, so for a lot of it, for me, it was, it was the maturation process of a coach. Sure, sure. And then I was fortunate enough to be the co-campus coordinator, you know, in Fort Bend, we have, we have co-coordinators. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're really proud of that, that we're able to have, you know, the two that lead the campus. Um, and so for me, it was, you know, Hey, I'm hiring these head coaches on the female side. I need to trust them enough that I'm hiring them, that they're going to take care of my kids, Great my point. kids, right? Great basketball point. girls. And, at the same so you, time, it otherwise, you, you became the athletic it change. You, something changed in you at that moment. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And so it was more like, and then I would see that sometimes the struggle, depending on who the coaches were of the football, basketball aspect, um, or you're in, in basketball, but you're going to come lift in football. Right. Um, you know, and that, and right. that still goes on to this day. And then some of our schools, you know, in Fort Bend ISD, you know, we need all, we've got to recruit our own hallways, just like other schools do. You know, you got to recruit your own kids, which is a crazy thought nowadays that you have to recruit your own kids yeah. to play that are zones in your school, right? You got to walk the halls and get them out there. Um, but, you know, we need to utilize the student athletes that we have and the potential and the talents they have. And it's about, it's on the coaches to communicate what's best for the students, you know, to not put a student in that predicament. But I would just say it's the maturation process of, of a, being a professional and a coach. Because I, I was that. not good at it, James. I'll tell sure. you that. Hey, again, I respect nothing but respect for you to say that. And and look where it's gotten you now. Like you've grown, and now you're 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 an assistant AD at one of the biggest districts in the city, and thereby, which means the country, <laughs> you know. But right. you know, one thing I'm I'm interested in, uh, 
in that you said was like, it, it's kind of like when you became the athletic coordinator, you suddenly now by, by your job title, you had to start putting yourself in other people's shoes, I think as part mm -hmm. of it, you know, and I, I felt that myself when I was sitting in that chair at Aldine. And it's like, once you're able to do that and you remove yourself like from your silo, when you're just thinking about your sport, man, it, it makes it so much easier to do that. But I've had a lot of coaches on this show. I'm starting to get more ADs. I'm, I'm kind of going that route, you know, an, an evolution here. I'm so, I'm so honored you, you joined us today. And so I really oh, want to take advantage of, of your knowledge and your experience. We've already kind of talked about, first, you got to get to that point to where you're, you're willing to share. Second part is once you decide I'm willing to share, how is this actually going to look? And I know it can be different with all that you mentioned, the football, basketball, weightlifting dynamic. There's a football, baseball, you know, so football coaches love their off season. I understand I'm one of them, you know, and so- mm -hmm. I also have to understand what the other coaches goals are. And I, as, as a campus athletic coordinator, I learned that too, and became very sympathetic to that, but I know it's, it's a very big topic. And so you don't, you can go wherever you want with this, but as far as how you train, you know, your coaches throughout the district, how do you train them to handle, handle those times whenever it's like, is the kid going to go to off season today, or is he going to practice his in-season sport, those kinds of issues? Do, or do you just let your you completely 100% trust your campus athletic coordinators to handle that? I'm really curious about that, how you how you massage that situation. Well, it's interesting on what I've learned. You know, I just finished my third year as the assistant AD. And, you know, you obviously learn a lot, right? My first year was COVID. I came in during COVID. That was yeah. crazy. So that was just simply trying to survive uh, the season that we were in at the time. Um, but, you know, we have we have 11 high schools about to open 12 with Crawford. And each of them, as you well know, because you worked in them, um, are like a small town. They're each like a different small town, right? Uh -huh. And they've all got their different. So a lot of it is the, we lean heavily on the leadership of the campus athletic coordinators on kind of how to handle those conversations. Um, but, you know, it's an expectation. Uh, it's on all of our questions um, of interviews for anybody who we're hiring in Fort Bend ISD on how they handle multi-sport athletes. And we we listen for a lot during those or I know I do on when I'm interviewing of how a coach would handle that uh, difficult conversation, right. Uh, of sharing an athlete, um, especially, you know, we've got, we've got some that play soccer and softball or soccer and baseball. Um, you know, so we, I listen for a lot when I'm interviewing coaches about how they would communicate and proactively communicating uh, with the other coaches on the campus. But we expect our, our campus athletic coordinators to kind of lead by example you know, on this. And so, um, you know, I think for them too, I think they, they are going to go through what I did, um, as they mature in their coaching situations and, um, you know, it's good for their school. And, you know, for example, Crawford high school, that's opening, they're going to, you know, open real small with ninth and 10th. They're going to lean on that model of uh, playing multi-sport right out the gate, you know? Yeah. So when we hired for those positions over there, we looked for people that were team oriented, that they themselves had coached other sports, you know, David Jackson, who's the head football coach over there, he was head girl soccer coach. Yeah. Um, you know, Fort Ben Austin yeah. alum, like myself. Yeah, there you <laughs> got go. another bulldog in and, there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, we looked for that. That was something that that we thought was a plus for him, you know, um, in that role. So it's, it's all about kind of how you look at it when you go kind of the hiring, if you ask me. Okay, I got two questions from the things you said that, that popped to my head. Number one, you, you mentioned um, – you kind of you said when you were a girls basketball coach at Hightower, you were sharing with volleyball. There is some overlap there, right? I mean, it, the volleyball season is continuing on as you've already begun your preseason, especially if mm -hmm. there's playoffs involved. And so, and I know it there, for girl on the girls side, I always kind of think of it. And there's always track, which you've talked about and you shared with them. But like I think of it like the 
the volleyball, girls, basketball, soccer, softball, like your real team sports, mm-hmm. a lot, they all kind of, they, they do overlap with each other. So it's, it's very, it's not cut and dry clean, you know, or one sport, one sport ends and the next one then begins at that point out of those four sports. Is there any of them that you feel like just cannot work for an athlete at the six, a level where it's just, it's too much overlap and it's just too messy. I'm just curious on that. I've always wondered that. Is there any that you feel like it's just not a good fit? Well, I think the softball soccer uh, mm-hmm. is pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it, it can't work. Right. Um, I think uh, the softball track, I even had a couple of players uh, when I was at Hightower that that quit basketball to focus on volleyball. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can think of two right off the top of my head and I could see how they were developing with volleyball and yeah. then also their club season really conflicted with with basketball season. And, uh, you know, but I could tell where they were going. And so for me, it was like, you've got to be unselfish and make this work for this kid. Sure. You know, one of them was Daniel House's little sister, Denisha okay. House. Yeah. And she, wow. went, okay. she went on to play volleyball at Lamar University. And she was a very talented athlete. But I could tell where she was going. Right. Um, you know, she was leaning towards that volleyball side. Um, so I don't know if, if it's un- impossible, but I would think those two spring sports are pretty tough. That's- that's kind of uh-huh. what I was thinking too. But, and then you think that the, ba- so you've, you've already talked a lot about basketball, volleyball, but then the basketball soccer, is that yeah, difficult I as had, well? I had, seen that or? I've seen that a little bit, you know, at Hightower, I didn't have that as much, but I, I've seen it a little bit. Um, you know, I, I think it, think you could make it work. Uh, I think it's hard on the kid. Um, sure. Cause you know, you could be playing three or four games a week, but um, yeah. I, I just, if with any two coaches, if, if they can be, you know, the, the mature voice in the room and see what's best for the athlete and then communicate with the athlete's parents as well. Yeah. You know, uh, is critical. No, I really, I really love talking about those topics. And then, you know, one thing you mentioned was you're sitting in on these interviews and you are listening for certain things. This is a very common question I get from young coaches since, you know, I've been in these interviews and was able to get a head, a head position. They always ask like, what, what should I, you know, what should I talk about in my interview? I'm giving you the floor. Cause I know my listeners will really <laughs> want to know this, you know, like, if you are interviewing for these jobs, whether it is in Fort Bend of Deb Mize or anywhere, because I'm sure what you're saying, you know, the other ADs are doing as well, but like, what kind of things are you looking for? Like, what do you want to see from potential candidates? You know, well, this sounds cliche, Kovo, but I'm looking for a coach that's student centered, right? Yeah. yeah. That, um, like you were when you coached somebody that, that even in your most difficult decisions, you're putting the program first. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody that's, that's student centered, somebody that's honest, and that leads with integrity is somebody that I look for. And I feel like you can find those answers within some of the questions that we ask candidates. Um, but somebody that, you know, is is unselfish and that obviously, you know, when we bring them in, we know they know the X's and O's, right? Sure, sure. And for our campuses, you know, uh, we talk about a lot in our office, uh, you know, who's a fit, right? Who's the right fit for that specific campus? Because uh, we have smart. a lot of talented assistant coaches that are ready to be head coaches, you know, and they come in and they ask, you know, hey, I'm ready, I'm ready, you know, and a lot of it is just hard to explain. It's the fit. Um, but, you know, those are kind of some of the things I look for. Um, I look for people that can have difficult conversations with parents and be able to kind of still uh, walk out and lead with integrity, um, you know, and also people that can that can teach and get along with administrators, our building principals. We have some great building principals in Fort Bend, you know, that are very supportive of what we do. And um, so it, it, a lot of it is fit. 
Uh, that again, this is you're dropping another gem. I totally agree with that, you know. And I think, like, did you hire Quisha Dickerson? I did. Well, yes, she was hired it. in Austin, and I came in the same year she did. Um, okay. I, I would love to say I did because I think she's a special young coach, and I not young hardly anymore. She's been around for a little bit. Oh, yeah, but, very yes. experienced. But you know, you, yeah, that was my favorite part of her episode that she dropped that gem of how she was extremely successful turning around the market consolidated. She gets the mm-hmm. job at a you know suburban school in Cyprus, and it just it even though she was it just even though she had seen su- such success turning around the market consolidated her pillars or whatever it just wasn't working, you know her mm-hmm. interaction with the parents it just it was there was something off like you said of the fit and she acknowledged that which I just love that so much and I then I it, may, it caused me to think to myself perhaps I just wasn't I wasn't the right fit for Aldine you know I was I right. was young and experienced but maybe. Maybe uh, I could have been better somewhere else for the for the students, you know. Maybe I could have. I don't know. I, I, but Quisha got me thinking about that, and she said as soon as she got to Austin, it was just simpatico again. Like she it just she felt right back at home, and incredible results she's delivered for my alma mater. Absolutely. So I just love that point, Coach. I, I love the point about the fit, and I do think that's a real thing. Well, and I think I think with Coach Dickerson, she she shared with me too that people were like, "You're going to Corbin, Austin." You know, and uh, I love I love the doubters that say, you know, what you're going to Fort Bend, yeah. Austin. They haven't been that good, right? And then you see how she's built relationships over there, yes. and and what she's done because that's the big buzzword, right? Relationships, relationships. Yep, yep. Um, and and so it's it's all about a fit. But she's done a dynamite job over there. Um, you know, I'm very proud of what she's done and have a great relationship with her. Absolutely. And then as far as Clements High School, you know, you mentioned the softball you're interested, but you said you eventually got hit with a nasty pitch and you said, oh, I'll pass. So the combination yeah, of that traumatic experience. <laughs> the, bad, the bad thing is, Kobo, my mom was at that game when I got hit with a, a pitch. Yeah. And I think that was the end for her. And oh, it, she became was... <laughs> the, it was it was the end for me Um, just because, you know, she was like, no, we're good. We'll stick with with basketball, which is actually more physical um, in sure. the long run. But yeah, that was kind of the end of it. I still love the game of softball. I, you know, I love all sports, but um, I love the 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 quickness of the softball game. Absolutely, I, I prefer. It. I hate to say, I'm not. I don't want to upset my baseball, but I prefer the softball to baseball for sure. Like the yeah. World Series, at least. Like I, it's must see TV. My wife and I just love it. Like it's just it's so good. Um, but uh, one thing I know about Okies, they love their softball and they love their wrestling. That yep. those are two sports that are just very unique to Oklahoma, in my opinion. And so you being from Duncan, I'm not surprised that, that, that you like to swing, swing it a little bit. So, all right. Now, one question, last question we'll ask about Clements. You know, we talked about your kind of wake-up call was having to play varsity basketball against Hastings and Elsick. Mm-hmm. Was there a moment, though, where maybe outside of those games or maybe within that game where it's like, even though you were overwhelmed at first, was there like a breakthrough moment where you said, like, I belong here? What, what, what moment was that where you went from being kind of the scared sophomore, you know, on the varsity or whatever to, to feeling like I belong in this team? Yeah, so it was one of those those tournaments that I mentioned in in California. We were able to fundraise and and travel to San Diego and we played in the Surf and Slam tournament. Mm-hmm. I hope they still have it. It was a great tournament. And we traveled there and for high school teams at the time, you know, you weren't really doing the traveling that they're doing now where they kind of go go to different tournaments out out of town and different things. And so I was fortunate enough, I had some career highs in those games point-wise and was able to be the MVP wow. of that tournament. And uh, and then turned around and did it my senior year as well. Um, and so those were kind of the two times. And I remember I hit a game winner 
And it was one of those games, Kovo, where I could have shot it and it felt like I was shooting into the Pacific Ocean, right? I was in California. I was thinking I knew everything about everything. You're Steph Curry at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, that was just kind of the way it was rolling. And that was kind of the first time where I kind of felt like, okay, I kind of belong in this game and I can, because I was real short at the time and I hadn't really hit my growth spurt yet. And, um, you know, I had to shoot it quick. So I I realized when I played those teams, I was going to get my shot blocked real quick if I didn't have a quick release. And so even now to this day, when I see some of my, my former opponents, they always say, you know, number 10 at Clements, you had a quick release. I said, yeah, you guys weren't going to embarrass me too many times with blocking my shot, but that was probably the San Diego surf and slam was probably my best, my best moment. Oh, I love that. I love the, I I have a a child's book written by Steph Curry. It's called the boy who never gave up that I read to my son all the time. Cause I just, I just love it. It's a really good book for any parents listening or whatever. It's a really good book for even for an adult. I just really love that book. And he, he talks about, because he was so short, his dad, Dell, who's an NBA NBA player said, Hey, you got to get your shot off quicker. So he said the exact same thing that you did. So I just, I love the, the parallel there with that adjustment. Now, uh, after Clements, obviously you had a great career, you know, there at Clements, you end up going, uh, staying local, uh, going to HBU, Houston Baptist University, now called Houston Christian. I'm curious, are, do you, can you, can you jive with that or are you still HBU for life? No, I, it's still a little weird. You know, I didn't yeah. end up graduating as a Husky, but uh, even now to this day, I'm like, what? Like when people say it, 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 it it's kind of like Texas State, Southwest Texas. Southwest Texas, you know, I, I was, I was used, just going to say that, yep. I was used to, I had good friends at Southwest Texas. Um so it's just kind of like, you know, it's one of those things you'll have to get used to. But no, I wasn't jiving with it when it first came out. But you go there on a basketball scholarship and you played on their first ever women's team at HBU. And, you know, I used to live in the Heights area. We just moved to Katy recently. And so I, I actually went out to Sharp Gymnasium a couple of times to go watch some Huskies games. I, I really like that gym. It's very <laughs> like small, but like intimate. It gets loud in there. So like Sharp Gymnasium, if you haven't done it, that that's on the campus there at HBU. Like go go check out a game there. Definitely go check out yeah. a game. So can you just talk about your experience at HBU and starting a new program? Yeah, so it was, I mean, to think back about it now, it's even more special, right? Because when you start it and you're kind of in the moment, you're not thinking we're the first ever. But uh, we were, and I had teammates from all over the country. I had teammates that, that were a little bit older and NAIA, they, had, they still had some eligibility left. And so I had like a 23, 24-year-old teammate. Yeah. And, you know, I was 18 at the time. I went with a, a teammate of mine from Clements, Rylan Brailsford at the time. Now she's Rylan Cooper. She's married. married name. Oh, yeah, I remember there's uh, a Colby so Brailsford that yeah. played football. So I, I remember those names. Yep, yeah, that's her brother. Okay, That's her brother. And so Rylan and I went together and and then I ended up having some teammates from Hastings and uh, Elsick on my oh, team. Oh, that's, that's good to have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then some 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 kids from uh, Dulles at the time uh, yeah. were my teammates as well. And uh, literally, we were in the Red River Conference. I don't know if you're familiar with the Red River that was then NAIA, uh, but man, we dominated for two or three years. We go to the national tournament and um, had a ton of success there at, at, at HBU, and then ended up kind of transferring my senior year with some coaching changes that happened, mm-hmm. and then uh, played at St. Edwards in Austin Division Two. Yeah, St. Edwards. Yeah, definitely there in Austin. What was that? Was that what was that like? Because I remember. You know, for me, you played NAIA level. I played Division Three at Austin College. So, you know, somewhat similar, but NAIA does offer scholarships where D3 does not. I remember being like a kid from a – it was 5A at the time, 6A now. But I'm coming from Fort Bend, Austin. I'm a first-team all-district player. I, I kind of had a little bit of that, like, yeah, this is – I'm, I'm going to be all right here, you know. Like, it for, couldn't be further from the truth. Like, it's college mm-hmm. athletics. So, kids – even kids now, mm-hmm. that if they get an offer from a D3, that kind of turn their nose down at it. Like, I really don't like that. 
you know, because I think they're maybe not understanding it's still college athletics. It, it is a jump up. I don't, you know, it doesn't matter 6A, 5A, whatever, all district, none of that, you know. But you took one more step. You went from the, you know, the NAI level up to the Division two level. I mean, so this is definitely a full scholarship. You know, it's, it's one step up. Was, was it very different? I'm curious your transition there. Was it very different or was it similar? I'm just kind of curious your thoughts because I feel like a lot of times an elite NAIA is just as good as like a, a middling D2, you know what I mean? So I'm just curious. I couldn't, agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It, it actually wasn't that much different okay. uh, just simply because, you know, it, at the time at HBU, we had such talented players right. that were really recruiting this greater Houston area. Right. You know, and a lot of times, I don't know why people even have to recruit outside of Houston uh, right. to get to get some of these, uh, these kids. You know, I think U of H men's is doing a great job with that of recruiting, recruiting our own around here. But no, it wasn't that much of a jump up because it, it was as competitive maybe a little bit more physical but it wasn't sure. a huge discrepancy maybe athletes a little bit bigger faster stronger but but the team play you, you had at hbu and you could probably take on st edwards and be a really good game yes exactly all right so that was your college uh career and I, the question i always ask coach and i keep the statistics again 61.64 percent of my guests and your your guest number 73 now 61.64% of my guests were all winning awards and leading programs. They did not think they were going to be a coach when they stepped foot onto their college campus. So I was a little surprised by that. It just shows, you know, you never, it's never too late or you never know when you get that calling. I'm curious for you, when you stepped foot onto HBU, did you already know you wanted to be a coach or were you, were you preparing to do something else with your life? No, I mean, I kind of, I'm probably not, you're good for your percentage because I'm going to bring it down. I, I did know I wanted to coach because I knew. Okay. I, I was the same way. I knew from seventh grade. <laughs> I knew I wanted sports in my life somehow, yeah. um, whatever yep. that was because of what sport did for me. Um, and so, yes, I kind of knew that was the route I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was done playing collegiate ball, uh, I hit a, a little bit of a depression mode when it came yeah. to yeah. who am I? What am I going to do? Yep. Uh, Basketball is what I've done. It was, you know, in, in college, as you know, it takes up your whole life, right? Yep. It's yep. a full-time job and and an, and some. So for me, no, I kind of knew. I kind of knew that that was the route I was going to go. I had no idea where my career would take me, but that I knew I wanted to be around it. I, I mean, I remember my my first year teaching. I taught at Clearbrook High School. It was actually my first assignment. I was not a coach, but I, I, I took over in the spring. I took, took over for a teacher that got, like, let go. It, it was rough, and I was living in new territory in Sugar Land, you know, with my yeah. parents at the time. I, I hated teaching. I, I say this, I, I'm very transparent, but I hated my first year at Clearbrook. And it's, that's not an indictment on Clearbrook. I'm sure it was fine, but just being, you're used to being a college kid and now I'm waking up at five 30 in the morning to drive 45 minutes every day. Just that portion alone is a lot. And teaching as a first year, it's just hard to be the, to lead those kids in the classroom. It, just, it is. So people that can do it in year one, you're, you're, you're just a protege. You're just a rock star, right? You're, you know, you're, you're, you're rare, but um, that plus, Obviously, I took over a bad situation. Those kids were used to like substitutes and like a bad, you know, they, they didn't want to work. And so I struggled uh-huh. with that. And also, I was not coaching at that time. It was good in a way because I already was up to my ears, you know, I was spending long, staying up really late, preparing lesson plans and stuff. But the coaching like really helped me once I started. Go- I got that identity as a coach and I felt like kids like liked me even more once I was Coach Kobo instead of just Mr. Kovaleski, you know, so Anyhow, but that the um, after that first year at Clearbrook, I, I was going to get out of education. And my mom, I, I talked to my mom. She said, "No, whatever you do, do it for three years." And I'm so glad she gave me that advice because I, I sent an email to Mr. Moran. Kevin Moran was my assistant principal uh, at, yeah. at Austin High School. He's now a superintendent at Waller. Uh, yeah. But 
I couldn't believe it. He wrote me back within five minutes. And he's like, oh, of course I remember you. You know, I was like, come on in. So I interviewed Coach Hume was the athletic coordinator at the time. And oh, once I, I got Jeff to Hume. Clements, Deb, and I'm sure you can understand, like, it is different. Like, it is that that is a special place. And I uh-huh. immediately fell in love with it and all the coaches there and the students and the teachers. And a lot of them are longtime teachers like Janet Cox that you mentioned. And so yeah. it, it changed very, uh, it changed very quickly for me. So I'm curious for you, you know, you mentioned that your career actually started at another place that I know Pope John, the 23rd, uh, right there in Katie off. It's there probably was no grand parkway at the time for yeah, you, but now it's the grand parkway at the time. <laughs> <laughs> right off the grand parkway there yeah, just yeah. North of I 10 actually had a family friend whose, whose son, played football there um so I know a little bit about it but you said you you taught there for two years at a private school in Katy St. John the 23rd as you were getting teacher certified did you have the same experience as me was was your first couple years at St. John difficult and you didn't like it or did you just kind of already know like wow this is awesome I love it well an interesting story about St. John at that time it was Pope John the 23rd so how I found out about that job you're gonna think this is crazy so Janet Cox was reading the Houston Chronicle and at that time, schools used to put ads in the paper looking for jobs. Yeah. And, and she saw it and it said they were looking for a girls basketball coach and she sent it to me and she goes, you should apply. And so I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't have my teacher certification at the time. So I did. So that was my first, I, I was like, yeah, I was living at home with my parents coming out of college, trying yep. to figure out what, you know, yep. what I was going to do. And so I went and I applied and I got the job and I wasn't making a, a hill of beans when it yeah. comes to a salary. Right. I was just. And they were like, okay, you're going to be a PE in health. And at that time, we had 43 kids in the whole school. Awesome. So I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, my volleyball kids were my cross-country kids, were my basketball kids, right? Yep. And I was like, this can't be, like, the way it is. Like, this isn't real. Um, but I coached boys cross-country. So I got so much experience of coaching different sports mm. at the time. And then... I was like you, I did not want to be in the classroom. That was kind of like a thing that, but once I had the coaching background, you definitely get more street cred with the kids, right? Cause they're like, Oh, that's coach. That's not just this mice. Right. Um, so, so much, so much to be said and so much parallel with your story of, of that. And then eventually went to Hightower. Can I, you know, and I, I share this and you've listened to a couple episodes. My, my, my listeners all know this and I, I share this and I've all shared this with my students too. Like I, I came, I came from a dysfunctional home. Like my dad was abusive and stuff. So, you know, when I, when I got to high school, I was like even middle school too, but especially at high school, I was really at that moment where I was like craving like a father figure that I respected. You know, I kind of like lost respect for my dad at a certain point, you know, from some of the stuff I saw, but those coaches delivered that for me. And you mentioned there, like the coaches have street cred, like, I believe students are drawn to coaches. I always felt that way. And as a coach, I felt that way. Even people that were my non-athletes, I think they liked being in Coach Kobo's class, it felt like to me, you know? So I guess I don't want to put you on the spot because you are you you are in a district. And I'm, not, I'm not asking you to, to make a big statement or anything, but like my personal opinion is when I see calls to like scale back on athletics or scale back on, on the health, PE, coaches, whatever, whatever, like, in all of all extracurriculars, not just athletics related, fine arts included, and to focus on academics, like I don't want to sound like a barbarian, but like I think that's a huge mistake. Of course, we want to push great academics, but I feel like it's these other pieces that really create a, a well-rounded student, and it also encourages students to like love coming to school where they can then focus on their athletics, uh, their academics. So, 
that's me saying my piece. And I know you may have to tread carefully because you're representing a school district. And so I'm, I'm not asking for a crazy statement. I'm just curious. Have you ever, any thoughts you want to add to that as far as like the role of athletics in a highly functioning school district? Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more about what you said. Um, I also, I just believe that's, that's athletics. And like you mentioned, fine arts, um, you know, CTE, right. It could be yeah. any of those, those different things that, that kids pull from and it's the reason why they get up and yes. go to school. Yes. It is. Absolutely. And we're kind of we're kind of the chain link between academics and everything else and uh it's just so critical and sports can bring kids um from something, you know, from nothing to something like you said in in your home, you know, mm -hmm. that was that was what helped you grow up Absolutely. was 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 sports. Yep. And it was teammates and it was coaches that pushed you that, you know, knew you, they, you cared about them and vice yeah. versa. Um, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, it's why I do what I do now. It, it's the love of, of it's the connection for kids. It, it just is, there's no way around it. And I think when you have powerful leadership in superintendency, um, assistant superintendents that understand that focus as well, yeah. which we do in Fort Bend ISD. Yeah. Um, we have a, a great superintendent that's very supportive of all things, fine arts and athletics. Awesome. Um, you know, I, it, it drives the school district. Um, and I, it's, it's also in a world that's very negative right now and very divisive. Sport can be what brings people together. So, yeah, yeah. sounds sounds cliche, but that's my my two cents. No, very well said. V very well said. I couldn't agree with you more. And then, you know, after that initial start. It's again, it's kind of similar to me. You kind of started somewhere for a short period of time, but then you found your home pretty quickly. I, I would have stayed at Clements forever had not Brett Sniffen gotten the Ridgepoint job and asked me to come. And then I, you know, I would have stayed at Ridgepoint forever until Coach Sniffen said, Hey, we're really good. You, you and Bobby Darnell should apply for head coaching jobs. So I really loved my my Clements and Ridgepoint stops so much. You were at Hightower, you got there in 2006, and then that was where you stayed for the entire rest of your career prior to coming to what you do now uh, in the ad administrative office. Can you talk about? I have a feeling I know what you're going to say because I've felt it before being at Clements and Ridgepoint, but like, what was it like being a Hightower Hurricane? Well, for me, it was, um, it was everything. It was challenging. It was loving. Yeah. It felt like home. Those kids that I coached there, I don't have kids of my own, but they were like my kids. Yeah. Still to this day, I see yeah. them in stores. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like you, James, you know, you, you just, the relationship afterwards, you had, I had kids that I would have an alumni game and the kids would come back. Right. Yeah. And I would be in their lives in other ways at the beginning. And then, you know, it was always about winning. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win a state championship. And I was fortunate enough to go twice to a state tournament, but, um, you know, it just turns into so much more. I've, I've been to funerals of, of, of kids, parents that have passed and, yeah been yeah. to birthdays or graduations and, and, you know, Hightower was home. And I, I, I'd never, there was one time I interviewed for another position um, and it just never could kind of measure up to how I felt. Like you said, it was the fit for me, uh, you know, and then my coworkers uh, were like family. I still talk to them to this day, the other coaches that I coached with. And I had some awesome assistant coaches that I still keep in touch to, to this day. And uh, it, it was a second family for me. Uh, Hightower was a second family. And Hightower, I find really interesting for someone that grew up in the district. I, I was uh, there kind of at its early formations, you know, when it opened. I, I was kind of there for Hightower and then Bush 
shortly thereafter. I was kind of in high school around that time period. Um, the, 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 the academy program was something that, at least to my knowledge at the time, was unique to uh, unique for Fort Ben ISD. I believe Hightower was the first to do it. I think prior yes, to that, we right. all, yep, we all just went to our Kempner and Clements and Austin and all those things. So, and then when I was teaching at Clements, I know that we, uh, Fort Ben made a move to have it where every single campus had an academy. I remember Clements was foreign languages. I remember that at the time. I don't think Ridgepoint had one when we were there at the time, but I'm just curious. And this is kind of a tangent, but I'm just out of curiosity. Is that still something where every Fort Bend campus has a magnet or did they go back to just Hightower as a magnet? Yeah, they, not every campus has it because sometimes it depends on en enrollment, you know, and, and where things are. But Hightower was the first. It had, you know, the three major, major right. ones. And then as I was there, they slowly kind of started, you know, progressing them out to other campuses. You know, we right. lost the engineering program to Elkins and, mm -hmm. Um, but I, what I realized when I was at Hightower is how much, <clears throat> excuse me, how much diversity that gave Hightower, yeah. um, at the time, you know, how many different students you could have in your class from all different walks of life. And, um, you know, and that some of them were there for the medical and the media and the engineering Academy, but, um, yeah, uh, it was a great experience. I was just going to ask you about that because I have a good friend and he's a big fan of the show. We actually did an episode on him, Daniel Shook, Dan, as I call him, my childhood friend in um, he went to Hightower, graduated class 2002, like I did. And he was talking about, he played baseball and he mm -hmm. was saying like, actually almost the entirety of the baseball team was made up of magnet students and you're nodding your head. So I think that maybe is still true today. And so can you talk about that as a coach? Cause maybe you, you, you probably had some, you have some, some, you know, local homegrown talent in the zone. That was really a huge part of your girls basketball team, but I'm sure you had some magnet students as well. I guess the thing I'm interested in is when I was at Austin, we all came from the same zone i've never i guess i've never been in a, a high school situation where you, you're having magnet students come in was it difficult or did it sound like it was actually something that, that like strengthened your programs yeah i would say it was it was strength and diversity yeah <clears throat> i also had it was also a little bit different too because i didn't know who i could get or who, right. who was coming right, right. you, didn't kind of right. you couldn't go to one middle school or whatever because come from all the middle schools potentially yeah. right um you know a lot of people if you were a high tower opponent at the time you hated it because you felt like it could have been a possible recruiting tool sure sure um but at the time and and what people probably don't know about academies is you know we had no say on who was accepted or not accepted oh, okay. into the yeah, academies yeah. which people think that we probably sat around and said who's the next foot <laughs> six foot guard that's coming in and <laughs> sure, sure and that kind of thing but that's not the furthest from the truth so right. um but yeah we had some great athletes come through that were both in all of the all of the uh, academies and baseball got hit pretty hard when engineering moved to Elkins sure, sure. and I don't, uh, you know, it's great for Elkins. And yeah. now, you know, I root, root for them just as much as I do Hightower, but, um, you know, and that, that was a switch for me too, going into this role, uh, Kovo to, to be a fan of other schools. Right. Wow. Cause I used to have rivalries with them and wow. now I I've got shirts and I root for them. So. You read my mind because that was actually the next <laughs> on my list to talk about. Cause yeah. being a homegrown kid, these rivalries are deeply ingrained in me. Uh -huh. Ease house, man. Coach Brantley was one of my coaches at Austin. I love him. He was he was one of those coaches I would run through a wall for. I've told the story about him being my track coach, and he challenged me to hit fifty feet and the shot put my senior year. I did it one time, and I did it at district. Awesome. And and I couldn't believe I did it from you know, my my results in the past. I, I was so proud to go run up to him and tell him, "Hey, coach, I hit fifty, you know, and I got second place and got us eight points." And so he, I love him. I gotta say, my rivalry with Elkins is my least. Favorite. 
team in the district. It was like that way when I was a player at Austin. There's something that was my rivalry. And then, of course, when I got to Ridgepoint, that ratcheted up to a whole new level. We had some, we had a, we had maybe one of the greatest football games ever played against Elkins the first time that we ever played a varsity football game. I don't think a Hall Stadium was sold out that Thursday night. Uh-huh. There was so many, you, you, you're nodding, you might remember this night. And it's like Absolutely. there was so much anticipation for that. And we all laid it out on the field. And so Elkins is like my rival. I, I don't know that I could ever root for Elkins. It would, it would take like one of my good friends, you know, leading a team there or whatever. But I'm being petty. I should, I should let that go. But, you know, I'm no longer in coaching, but it's got to be hard. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, like, you know, we, I was at Ridgepoint. We are just dropped right in there with Hightower and Elkins. We took kids from Hightower and Elkins. Mm-hmm. I knew taking that job when I was told that we're going to get kids from Hightower and Elkins, I said, jackpot. Yeah, I mean, we're right. going to get some great kids and we're going to, we're going to be good. And sure enough, we, you know, we did to me, Hightower didn't feel like our rival. Part of it was, you know, that they've kind of moved up and down in classifications, but we did play Hightower in football when I was there. And I don't know, Hightower was, it was, it was a tough physical game, but like the Elkins thing is where it just felt like a really big rivalry and there's a little more smack talk going on back and forth. I'm curious for you from the Hightower perspective, I'm assuming Elkins and Ridgepoint you considered rivals or, or what, what were there others that maybe I'm not thinking of, but who, who did you consider your rivals in girls basketball at Hightower? Yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of fluctuated during, during my coaching career early on, it was Dulles high school. Yes. Girls basketball. Kelsey bone. <laughs> Kelsey bone. I was tired of playing her. Yeah. Um, just how talented she was, but, right. and they were loaded with talent. Uh, and then for a while it was Marshall high school uh, yeah. when they opened and, and we had some good battles with them in the playoffs. Uh, for a couple of years, it was Ridgepoint. Um, yeah. So it, it did kind of fluctuate throughout, um, you know, but uh, some people who deemed it a rivalry, maybe we didn't and vice versa, you know. Sure, so, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it did evolve kind of through Willow Ridge had some great teams back then. Yep. Willow Ridge, when I played in, in high school, yes, um, they were good, loaded their rich tradition of history with, with athletics there is unmatched. Um, so it kind of changed throughout. And, you know, I just want you to reminisce for your fans and players that are maybe tuning in. What, for, what was the furthest run you ever had in the playoffs? I, mean, I know you guys were always deep into the playoffs. What, what was the very furthest run? The furthest run was the state finals that I that we played in, in 2010 right. um, against uh, Cypher High School. Um, you played the uh, uh, Ogumike sisters? I did. You played NECA and um, – uh, wow, oh, yeah. my God, I didn't realize that. Yeah, unfortunately, I realize that every time I turn on ESPN and I see Shanae on there, Mecca, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh, and uh, so they weren't at that time in the state finals. It was just Shanae, Shanae and Shanae. not not just Shanae, but it was Shanae. NECA had already graduated and gone on to Stanford. Oh, OK, um, but we had played them in the uh, in the state finals wow. in 2010. And then I was fortunate enough in 2019 to go back to the state finals. I mean, excuse me, state semifinals. And we played Amarillo. Uh, um, and they shot the ball like the Golden State Warriors. They just could not miss. And uh, but both of those experiences were just unreal. Of yeah. Of you know, and now the the current head coach at at Hightower was my former player, um, who was on that state team. You know, so that's a full circle proud moment for me. And um, yeah, so that was my furthest run. We were thirty two and four that year. Incredible, and I mean. I, I do I do keep keep track on, on on coaches that have won state championships that have been guests and so you were just so close but like really to me it's almost uh, our society is so built on like when you do like goat debates greatest of all time it's all about winning championships but like 
to me, like just getting to the championship, the 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 margin between getting there and winning it is so razor thin. It, it's almost as, and I'm not trying. I'm not like a participation, but like, we're not talking participation. We're talking you got to the final. It's That's so right. huge. And so I'm just. I always like to ask people that have either gotten to finals or won finals. When did you know? Was it something where like you know, in that off season, like leading into it, you kind of felt like this team is special. We're going to go all the way. Or was it something where like, you just caught fire towards the end? Or I always like to ask that question. Well, so the, the first year that I went in 2010, I knew my team was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we were fortunate enough to win a couple of tournaments. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, we're kind of winning tournaments. We won the Sandra Meadows tournament in Duncanville, which is like a premier tournament for girls yeah. basketball. And so I was like, okay, we've got some talent. We've got, we've got a shot. But the funny thing is, and I I don't know if my players know this now, but the first year that we win in 2010, I brought one suit Kobo, for the semifinal game because I just was like, "Uh, we're happy to be here. Not that I didn't believe in my kids, but I just, you know, I was, I was young at the time in my twenties. Yeah. Yeah. And I still joke about this to my, with my colleagues to this day that, you know, I had to go buy a suit after we won the semifinal game at the mall the next day <laughs> to coach awesome. in the finals. Yeah. And so it's funny because uh, we were in the Irwin Center at the time, man. Those were the days when they used to play it at the Irwin Center. Yeah. Um, I hope the UIL can somehow switch it back, but that's my little plug for that because uh-huh. the Alamo Dome is, is just not good for it's, basketball. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, long story short, I knew I was in trouble when I was at the state finals and Shanae Ogumake was warming up. And, you know, the Irwin Center is a big circle. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was warming up. And this was her fourth time to be at the state finals four yeah. years in a row. So it was her senior year. She was about to go off to Stanford, too. And she ran by me. And I noticed that she was saying hello to the ushers in the hallway by name. She knew them by first name. Wow. And I looked, I looked at my assistant and I said, we could be in trouble. Like, because she was so comfortable you know, my kids were so talented and just sure. so raw and so rookie of the moment, just yeah. not knowing. Um, but yeah, and then at the time, I just thought to myself, like, oh, God, we're going to, you know, we're about to run into a buzzsaw, which we did. But right. um, I tell my coaches to this day that, you know, I'm able to to lead and serve with that they don't. It, it's so hard. And then you to get to that point, right? right? Every game that you win in the playoffs, it's so difficult. Yes. And you can, I, now I sit in the stands and I watch our kids compete and watch our coaches coach. And I, I just keep reminding them, you know, they'll get so much criticism even from their own parents and their own programs. Oh, I hate that. You know, I'm going to talk about that, that in a second. That's actually one of my talking points. Yeah, that it's just so difficult what you're doing and to try and stay in that moment. And back in 2010, I didn't do that. I was 20 something and didn't, I thought I knew it all. And then I ran again. <laughs> Mm. and Robique and Cypher High School, you know, and so I don't know. It's just to get beat by her, it, it, by Shanae, it was, you know, one of those things that she was just a generational talent. But I love that story. And that's no surprise. She's begun a budding media career. I mean, just that level of comfort to and to know people mm-hmm. my name like that. Like, I think that's really cool. It makes me even a bigger fan of hers. Like, that's that's an awesome story. And, oh, yeah. and then when she beat you, she made you she made you feel good. You know, it was like such a pleasure playing against you yeah. and you're like man i just got my butt kicked you know but yeah. what a great platform. kid and great family and you know i was actually going to ask you because i mean outside of the district rivalries because you're a team that goes so deep into the playoffs you must have developed rivalries with other houston area teams as well because you probably saw them as you advanced you know into the regional finals area you know and uh i was going to ask you who the coach was at Cy fair so Anne robique i will definitely maybe Anne see robique. if i can 
find her and and, and get her on the show because I mean I obviously there was yeah you should run. she's she's still at Sci Fair High School wow okay still, yeah that's incredible she's still as competitive as ever I don't know if she's getting close to retiring or not she always says it every year and then she doesn't because she still got that competitive fire but she was always somebody that I really admired I've told her she was a mentor to me um so you should get her on the show if you can because she I need does, to get her uh, I'm also I yeah, I want to get her and Megan Daniel, who's one of her former players. Yep. I worked with her yep. at Aldi, and now she's at Cy Ranch doing an awesome mm -hmm. job. So that's mm -hmm. good. I, I like talking to my guests and kind of formulating my head some more people that I can I can find. Was there anyone else across the city that you kind of ran into multiple times over your coaching career, like outside of Fort Ben ISD? Yeah, so uh, Clear Creek at the time was uh, our, our by district um, with Jana Williams. Jana she Williams. was the head coach then. She was She's the assistant athletic director um, in Humble. Um, and she was the head coach at, at Clear Creek. And then Bel Air was one of our, our foes at the time. And uh, they had a male coach. Uh, um, and his name is is missing me now. That's but um, he did a great job, great job there at, at Bel Air. And he's since retired. But those were kind of the teams we ran into year after year. Very and then, cool. of course, Brian Harris. Yeah. Brian Harris and I always, always ran into each other. Um, wow. He got some good licks in, and then so did I towards later when he was about to leave Manville. But yeah. um, he had some teams, man. So I, I love that because actually, I mean, Brian is another guest that I've, I've recently recorded an episode with. And so you, you guys be released very close to each other. You, you can listen to his episode. I'm sure he's going to listen to yours <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah, he will for sure. The competitive spirit that we still have against each other. We still still trash talk when we see each other. He's doing great things at Barbers Hill. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and he... I never got to know you like at that level, you know, I mean, we know of each other, but like I got, to, I worked with Brian and I actually played pick a right. basketball, Brian, and that he's maybe the most competitive person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and I'm sure you're, I see yeah. that you're expressing, you're just the exact same way. So that would have been <laughs> awesome to watch that game. I wish I could go back in the time machine and be there uh, for those Manville and Hightower games. But okay. So now this is the next one I asked, like I told you, like coaches mean a lot to me. That's why I do this podcast. And so even though I have a day job, you know, working for Dactronics, like I, I still broadcast games. I do my podcasting. I like to just everything positive I can push out into the atmosphere about coaching and, and coaches and students. And you know, I just, I, I love doing it. It does bother me now that I'm up in the stands a little bit more and not on the sideline. Like I hear more of the stuff that's being set up there really rubs me the wrong way. You mentioned sometimes even parents of the team saying negative stuff to the players, of course, second guessing the coach yelling at officials. I just want to get your, it, it really bothers me. To the point to where I, I was in a situation one time, uh, I was at a, I was doing for Vipe, I was going to call a uh, Christmas time tournament at Foster High School. So just, you know, just like, you know, like a random Christmas tournament. Mm -hmm. And I'm there, I'm setting up the camera and there's some parents watching the game before, before our game. And they're real nice to me and they're talking. And then I realized that the, the team that they're supporting, their head coach is my friend, you know? And so I said, oh, yeah, your coach is my buddy. Immediately their demeanor changes. And the dad spins around and he says, well, you might want to close your ears then because you're not, you're not going to like what you're about to hear. We don't like him. I was taken aback, coach. I've just never, I was not expecting that. And I just said, oh, okay. You know, like I, I, as the game went on, they were just awful. They were so awful talking about coach, talking about kids during the dead balls, just like yelling at these officials where everybody can hear it. It's a Christmas tournament. Like, you know, I just, I, I just, uh, it really rubbed me the wrong way to the point I was a, so close to confronting them, but I, I didn't, I probably did the right thing. I always ask people on the show, did I do the right thing? Most say, yes, they say, tell an administrator. And so now I've got an administrator here. So I just want to open the floor for you. 
Can you speak to this, what I'm seeing? And I think, I feel like it's getting worse. It could just be me, but I'm curious. Like, do you think that this negative behavior at sporting events, A, is it getting worse? And then B, after you finish that, can you like, did I do the right thing by not confronting the parent? And and maybe I should have went to someone like you in the gym and, and let you handle it. And then if I did that, what would you do? I'm really curious about that. So, yes, it, it's definitely getting worse. Okay. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's an area of, you know, when we attend athletic director conferences, uh, different areas that we're trying to target, yes. you know, fans, spectator behavior at, at events. Um, and unfortunately, like you mentioned, you know, it's, it's their kid could play for that coach, you know, and so you can imagine when they go home at night, what they're hearing from their parents at dinner. Sure. sure. And then what the message the coach is trying to give. And I think it's a, it's a huge reason, um, you know, Coba, that we're having a, a shortage of teachers and coaches right now. Uh, cause yeah. you know, people can, can find other things to do for the salary. And it used to be, you know, I want to be a teacher and a coach and impact kids and have my summers off and all of those things that are perks. Right. Mm -hmm. But now it's just gotten too difficult because everything is scrutinized. Every single thing is scrutinized. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yes, you, I, you know, as much as I probably would have been in the same situation and would have wanted to have said something, yeah. you know, sassy back to that parent yeah. or tell that parent off. Sometimes you just can't reason, uh, sure. with crazy. Yeah. Agreed. And, um, you know, so, that's kind of what I've learned over, over my years of being an administrator that you have to really kind of take your emotions out of it. Right. Uh, because their emotions are so involved in it. Correct. And parents, you know, their, their most prized possession is, is on your team as a coach. You know, that's what I remind our coaches all the time. And, you know, they're looking out for one kid, um, which is their kid and, yeah. and that's the right thing to do. But, you know, the coach has to look out for the whole program. And, um, but yeah, I, I do think it's getting worse, unfortunately. Um, and you know, the UIL has put some things in place where we're, we're look, taking a look at it. And, um, I think it's causing a shortage of officials Absolutely. at the same time. Absolutely. Uh, they don't, they don't want to officiate, you know, we're doing different initiatives in different districts about, you know, recruiting officials, which is crazy. I never thought we'd have that issue. Right. You know, the average age of officials, I think is like 55, they said. Um, so it's a problem. It's a definite problem, and um, it all goes back to setting those expectations that coaches give um, in parent meetings and encouraging our student-athletes, you know, to to be a voice and a, uh, stand up for themselves and come talk to the coach, right, instead of having the parent immediately come in and all those things. I mean, I remember my parents would never go meet with a coach. It was like, Deb, if you have an issue, totally. you go talk to the coach. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not going, unless something was really, you know, warranted. But it was, you know, you go, you want to earn playing time, you go out and work in practice for it. You know, that that's just gone nowadays. Um, so I, agree. I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. I know that we've got to stay the course with it because what we do is important, but it, it's a definite growing trend and an issue. My parents were not necessarily big sports people. I mean, like my, my parents like watch sports, but like they weren't like hyper involved. Some of these parents, like it's their whole identity. It's like through their kids sometimes. And yeah, my, my parents just always supported whatever was going on. They were just there to support me. And they, they never cared if I played or what the play call was or anything like that. And also just like the respect level. Like, like you, you could tell from me, like, I just adored my coaches. And like, I worshiped the ground some of them walked on. You know what I mean? And so like, sometimes I think that that level of respect for the coach has just kind of eroded over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that's that's problematic. And I hate it. Um but, you know, Chris Danzer, the head girls basketball coach at Aldi MacArthur, that's a name you should keep in your Rolodex. She's an awesome coach, you know, that, that I met my times up there in Aldine. But she said in her episode, she said, Kobo, 
I love what I do, but the one thing that would drive me out of coaching is parents these days do not want their kids to fail. They okay. just do everything they can to just try to prevent the kid from failing. I've had other coaches echo that same sentiment and I just could not agree more. Again, I'm not, I'm not there like now anymore, but like from, every, from all my friends I talk to, like that's, that's becoming more of a thing. I don't know what, what's changing in our society, but like, I guess you're nodding your head. So I guess you're seeing the same thing. Anything we can do on that front about not wanting your kids to fail that maybe parents <laughs> listening should take to heart. I mean, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things that um, I think she's exactly right with, with what she said about not wanting your kids to fail. But I think there's so much that you can learn, obviously even more sometimes in failure. Yes. Uh, you know, like I mentioned before about, you know, just your maturation process of things. And a lot of parents are living through their kids, like you mentioned, where maybe they didn't have a chance at something and and now they're pushing their kid to do it. But, um, and so, you know, one thing with, with, with athletics that it's not always fair and life isn't fair because what they're going to learn real quickly when they get out into the real world and adulting yeah, uh, um, that it's hard. Right. So yeah. I don't know, sometimes failure is necessary for change and for growth. Um, and I don't know, it's tough. It's tough, but I, I feel like what happens and I, I feel like what we could do a better job of and what we're trying to do in Fort Bend is, is recognize our coaches for the positive. You know, I think the coach, coaches that are are doing the everyday work I think they need more recognition on a day-to-day basis of um you know appreciating them I don't think we do enough recognition of our coaches Mm -hmm. I think we always harp on the the negative and uh, one thing you know our athletic director Dina Scott says is you got to tell your own story right and similar to what you said on different things you got to tell your own story um and so I don't know I I feel like that's an area that we can control is the recognition of our, of our coaches on, on what they're doing. That's great. So it's not just all of the negative and, and the hearsay. I like that. I've seen it on Twitter. You guys do like, um, you know, a, a campus assistant coaches of the year and all kinds of awards. And I mean, I, I really enjoy reading those and with, which sports do you oversee or, or do you guys split it up like that where you have certain sports or do you all kind of just tag team all that? Yeah, no. So I have different sports. So I oversee volleyball. These are all yeah. high school volleyball, boys and girls, basketball, baseball and softball. So cool. majority of the the team sports mm-hmm. outside of soccer. So it's a lot, but it's it's good. It's good. Yeah. No, I mean, thank you for sharing that, because, again, that, that's something that that's at the front of my mind and that I witness. And so I just I like to hearing an athletic director's perspective on all of that. And then we're kind of getting towards the end, coach. We will talk, talk, start, talk, stop talking all the serious stuff and just kind of have some fun and get to know you <laughs> a little bit better. You said you, I always ask, like, have you met some famous people? Jody Conrad, the U, uh, University of Texas women's basketball head coach, 31 years from 76 to 07. I mean, that that's like, it's it's not quite Pat Summit, but I mean, it, that, that's pretty darn close, you know? So I mean, what, what, what were you, what was that like for you to meet her? So interestingly enough, when I was playing basketball at St. Edwards, I was in Austin and I had a friend of mine who attended the University of Texas. And she said, do you want to come to the rec center and, and play racquetball? And so a couple of my teammates and I went over to the rec center at UT and we were going to play racquetball. So we're getting into the elevator and there's somebody that says, hold the elevator. Mm. And so in walks Jody Conrad. Yeah. And so she walks in and I instantly, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, Jody Conrad. Right. And so of course you want to be like, be really cool, but then not cool at all. And so I remember, and I said, hi, Jody. But when I said, hi, Jody, my voice cracked, right? Because I was excited. <laughs> yeah. 
And so she probably could still remember this to this day because my teammates like busted out laughing, you know, and uh, that was kind of my funny story of meeting her because I was so excited and for whatever yeah. reason, my voice cracked and gotcha. kind of went really high pitched. But uh, um, yeah, that was really cool. And then, you know, I've met like Dwayne Wade when I was in Chicago yeah. one time for for some stuff. But um, Inky Johnson Kovo was my last guy that that was real. I'm a big Inky Johnson fan. Yeah, of what he does and all the content that he puts out. And I met him and he's so down to earth and so amazing. So, yeah. And I, I wasn't familiar. So I had to look it up for those that don't know. He is a former university of Tennessee volunteer football or volunteer balls. Not, he didn't volunteer, but the team mascot was the volunteers, you know, and he, and he uh, his, there was an injury where his right arm was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was, I was looking through some of this stuff and I was like, wow, this is really good content. So I'm glad you're yeah, able he to, was, he was projected to be kind of a lottery draft pick in the NFL. Yeah played corner for the university of Tennessee and he went in for a tackle and hit the guy wrong. And instantly he said he could, you know, feel that something wasn't right. Ended up saying he'd never play again. And his, yeah, his arms paralyzed and his story of just, you know, everything of like you said, the failure there, right. The hardship and just how he's turned his life around and uh, used a lot of his stuff when I was coaching. So it'd be great for anybody to check out too. And the last name that you mentioned, you did mention Hakeem the Dream Elijah one. And so g- growing up as a Fort Bend person, like we all heard rumors that he lived in this area, like, kind of like off of 90, like in between 90 yep. and 59. Yep. It's like really, so it's all true. Like I never actually, like I heard rumors of like, hey, that's his house, but I never verified it. So yeah, it's all true. Head. And actually, actually his sons attend, um, one graduated and one is there now, uh, or two are there now at, at Clements. They that's what I'd heard. Boys yeah. basketball team. And he comes to the games and. And he doesn't want any special treatment. He likes to yeah. come through the main entrance with everybody else. And that's awesome. Um, very cool story. When he came this past year, it happened to be during a, during I believe it was Ramadan, and uh, he needed somewhere to pray. Mm. And so he had somebody come ask me, you know, could he use my office? And so he he prayed in my office during the time. And wow, uh, super nice guy. Yes. Uh, so it's amazing that he's, he has kids in our district and he comes to the games and his legs are so big. He puts them over the, the row in front of him. And yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, he's very supportive and he's at all of his kids events. So. And I've heard from my, my friend, Derek Ruthart, the offensive coordinator at Clemens, like at, if you show up to a Clemens practice, you might see Hakeem the dream walking the track. I mean, I just That's exactly that was right. so cool. That's exactly yeah. right. Like he'll be out there working out. He still looks like he could play to this day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he looks real good. So. Yeah, and then Clutch City days, I was a big fan of the team. Absolutely, and speaking of your your fandom, you said you loved to root for the Astros. You came into the studio with your Astros hat, and I've I've got my Jeff Bagwell throwback uh, yep. navy rainbow uh, jersey here uh, in your honor. And you said you're a major sports fan, so you love all the sports. Uh, you try every year to uh, love the Texans and Rockets, and they just break your heart. Mm-hmm. Sadly. I don't blame I'm, you. I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, the Texans are going to turn the corner. I was really excited about D'Amico Ryan's getting that job and bringing him back because I was a big fan of him when he played. Uh, and so, um, you know, just hope we can turn the corner. And then the Astros are so fun to watch. I love watching those guys. A big Altuve fan and, uh, and uh, you know, Brantley and all of them. So. You know, Coach, there's one last segment. I think I may have forgotten to ask you about this when we were asking the questions, but I always like to ask for a Mount Rushmore. And I actually had, I had Brian Harris do this for his Manville girls, you know, and actually one of his Barber Hills girls snuck in there. So I'm not trying to put you on the spot. And if you need more time to think about it, we can, we, I can record at a later day. But I'd like to add, I'm, I'm stalling some time here so you can think, but I'd like to ask you if you could give me a Hightower girls basketball Mount Rushmore. 
That's your, your top four, your top four all time. And if you need to go over to five or six, I'm not going to stop you. But just to give, you know, I was like, I like talking about giving flowers, you know, to, to the to the great ones. I mean, if there are any any particular young ladies that really stand out to you that you'd like to recognize as, as your high tower basketball Mount Rushmore, who who would your top four of all time be? Ooh, well, that's tough uh, to come up to come up with that, as any coach would say, right? Because you never want to yeah. forget somebody. But just on this on this short short notice, um, Diamond Ford. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She played for me and went on to play at, at Texas State. Yeah. Uh, Diamond was just a natural scorer, uh, one of the best that that I've I've seen and and coach just natural uh, talent. And then the current head coach at Hightower, uh, Jasmine Brewer. I've, yeah, I definitely um, recognize that name for sure. She was, um, she came in as a freshman and I could see how good she could be as a freshman. And she always used to tell me like, why do you keep, why do you keep say, telling me that? Like, you know, how good I can be. And I was like, cause I see it. Yeah. But anyway, I, for her leadership and then I'm not surprised what she's doing at Hightower one bit, um, her leadership ability and her ability to galvanize everybody else on the team. They listen to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she rebounded the ball well. Um, so she would be there. Um, and if I'm kind of covering all of the the positions here, Brittany Matthew was a point guard of mine who yep. uh she played overseas for a while in the Virgin Islands. And then um I had some twins that went to the University of Houston, Taylor and Tyler Gilbert, yeah. that uh were very talented. Um I don't know, and then you know, I've had Taylor who's playing at the University of Houston and Destiny yep. Lombard who went to LSU, but then ended up transferring to Stephen F. Austin. So I don't know. It's tough because I they they're, they'd kill me that I didn't mention their name if they're listening to this and they'd probably text me and give me a hard time. But that's probably just the ones off the top of my head. That's fair. Um, but for, there's no doubt, Kobo, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a coach you are if you don't have the players. Sure. Um, you know, and I, I, I just say that to be true to, to all of them. So. No, I like that. If, if, I'm if sure anyone was left I'm off sure the I'll list. I'm sure I'll get some heat. Hey, they can send it my way. I I, I failed to give you time to prepare. <laughs> and either way, it, it's going to be hard either okay, way. So yeah. we let you get a couple extra in there. So no problem with that. You've had some yeah. great ones. And yeah, and, and, uh, yeah, no no doubt about that. But man, this was so much fun. If, if y'all have enjoyed this as much as I did, please take a moment. Give us that five-star rating. That just drives us up the charts. The more ratings we get, the more people, it's easier to find the show when people are searching for a sports podcast. Hit the follow button to subscribe and hear new episodes as soon as they come out each week. And follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-B-O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. And we 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 listen to, to the fans. I mean, if, if anyone wants to make a suggestion, I will find that coach and we'll bring them on. So if, if someone, a coach made a difference in your life, please email me, teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com or, or message me on Twitter. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, Ridgepoint High School graduate. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion, Clements graduate, self-titled debut album. Uh, his real name is Dominique Williams, but he, he goes by Avrion for his, his music. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Coach Deb Mize, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, Kobo, I just want to thank you for what you're doing for, for putting out uh, this content, being positive for coaches because you've been in those shoes, but just taking your time and doing this and, and what you do for high school sports and, and definitely on the women's side too. So thank you so much for having me. This is an honor and a, and a privilege. You're welcome, coach. The honor is all mine. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch y'all down the road.
It always feel like I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head, lost my mind. Insuring them, I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more bar and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bump my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy, 